Good morning, everyone. Great to see everyone today. Your smiles are so beautiful. Uh, happy long weekend. Hopefully, you guys have something planned for this beautiful day. Um, my name is Karen, and I am the pastor of Faith Formation here at the Tapestry Richmond. And um, as most of you know, if you've been here, um, Tapestry is about disciples, making disciples, making disciples. And so this summer, each of the pastors, uh, we've chosen a particular disciple that we can identify with. Um, and I wrestled against this, but in the end, I must admit, I definitely identify with Martha. <laughs> now, there's a lot of Martha that I don't like, that I wish that I wasn't. But thank God that, you know, discipleship is not ultimately about us, but about Jesus. And discipleship is simply a response to a really good and gracious God. So today I'm going to share about how I, like Martha, had false beliefs about what I thought God wants from us. And how I, like Martha, had assumed a limited role and put barriers on myself and how Jesus, Jesus redeems all of that and redeems all of me. So I want to tell you a little bit about myself. I was born in Jakarta, Indonesia. I was the youngest of three. Um, I had a mathematician engineer dad and a chemical engineer mom. So uh, you can imagine that our house was all about productivity and efficiency. Um, and when I was four, we moved to Singapore. My parents enrolled me in a Chinese school, um, even though I didn't speak a word of Mandarin. But as Asian parents do, they wanted the best for me. So this was the best school. And the first day of school, I sat there, and I was very confused. I didn't know what was going on. Everyone was speaking a language I didn't understand. And my teacher, she just kept yelling. You know, she was yelling at this particular person. She was like, Jaren! Jaren! And I was like, who's this kid? <laughs> They're in trouble. Unfortunately, that kid was me. Um, and they had given me a Chinese name, a name that I didn't even recognize. So both at home and at school, I began to see my worth in being productive, in doing things, in fitting within the barriers that people placed on me. And my worth was in my work, in how well I fit in. Now, I'm sure, again, all the Asian parents out there are thinking, well, yeah, Karen, is there a problem with that? Well, this scene that we're about to read from God's Word with Martha shows us that Jesus, in fact, wants more, that Jesus is more, and that as his disciples, we are to live in the more of his kingdom rather than the barriers of cultural standards. So let's read together from Luke 10, 38 to 42. I actually invite you to read the Bibles in front of you and actually locate it in the Bible because actually as homework, because for those of you who know me, I was a teacher, uh, I've always assigned homework. Um, for homework, actually, I'd love for you to read this passage in the context in which it lies in the Bible. Because if you read before it and read after it, you're going to find some really fantastic nuggets of wisdom. So if you can, look it up. 
Luke 10, 38-42. And I'll read it for us. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Martha begins really well, doesn't she? She welcomes Jesus in. We don't know the state of her house. It may be a mess, but she welcomes Jesus in. This is a good thing. But Martha soon gets distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. So inviting Jesus into her home became less about who her guest was and more about what Martha did. Like Martha, I began well. I too welcomed Jesus into my life. At a very early age, um, I loved my Bible. I had a little picture Bible that I just wore thin from reading it. I had an invisible friend, Jesus, you know, that I would talk to on my way to school and when I was lonely or when I was scared, that's who I would turn to. But because I grew up in a culture that placed my worth on productivity, I soon got distracted. I soon focused on proving my worth by what I was doing. And I could never do enough. It didn't matter what I did my parents would pull out the example of another person who was doing better, who was doing faster, who was doing more. And because love and belonging and identity felt up to me to do enough to achieve, I flip-flopped between these two extremes, pride and despair, depending on what I was able to do or not. And just as my parents constantly compared me to the next person, I began to compare myself to others. And I ended up worrying about keeping up with others who were doing more or becoming resentful or dismissive of those who were doing less. So if I were Martha in this story, I would have felt both prideful of my work and despairing of the burden. I would have become resentful and dismissive of my sister Mary who didn't seem to be doing anything useful. Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. If you notice, Martha begins by calling Jesus Lord. But then he questions his care, tells him what to do. And Jesus' lordship and his goodness became tied to his acknowledgement and his support of her work. Because Martha's worth came from her work, the work became Lord over Jesus. Martha lost sight of who she was serving, of why she was serving. So maybe, like me, your worth comes from your work. Maybe it comes from what you have, 
Maybe it comes from how you look, your perfect family, your race, or your nationality. Wherever you place your worth, it will become Lord over Jesus, and it will lead to death. When my husband Paul and I had our first child, Bella, I realized how much my worth had come from doing, how much my doing can become Lord of my life. See, I wanted to do everything right. Every time that Bella cried, I tried to fix it by doing. I fed her, I changed her, I bounced her, I swaddled her. I... But it didn't matter what I did. Like, she just kept crying. It didn't matter. I continued to fail. And so I began to question God's love for me. Why aren't you helping me? Don't you care? And I began to resent Paul, my husband, who got to escape into the outer world where he could have his worth affirmed by his work. I began to resent other moms who who seemed to be able to do everything right, have the perfect smiling baby, smiling sweetly while mine just shrieked and screamed. See, I placed my worth in my ability to do, and when everything I did failed, when I couldn't do anymore, this idol that I had focused my life on, it left me feeling worthless. I'm really thankful that, like Martha, I was able to cry out to Jesus. You know, Jesus is God. He's almighty, and yet he allows us, in his great mercy, to question, to doubt, and even get angry I'm thankful that we have a God who is not distant, but he's present. He loves us so much that he listens to our cries, and he responds. You see, Martha scolds Jesus, but Jesus responds with tenderness. Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things, but few are needed. Indeed, only one. You know, God uses the double name call for only seven people in the Bible. Abraham, Jacob, Moses, Samuel, Simon, Peter, and Saul, also named Paul. And here with Martha. And each time God uses this double name call to say, Beloved, beloved, pay attention. What I'm saying next will change your life. So let's read what Jesus says again, because this is momentous. It's life-changing. He says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So what are you worried and upset about today? And what is the one thing that Jesus is saying you need? You know, Mary wasn't lazily lounging about. She wasn't off playing on her iPhone, checking her Snapchat, watching Netflix. Not that we do any of those things, right? No. She was responding to Jesus by being in his presence. She wasn't being lazy. 
She was choosing to focus her time, her energy on Jesus, the one true Lord of our lives, the only source of our worth, all love, all belonging, all identity. Mary was doing the one thing that was needed. She had chosen what is better. You see, God wants us more than our work. God wants us more than he wants our work. In the dark moments of parenthood, I, like Martha, cried to Jesus in bitterness, and Jesus, thankfully Jesus, he responded in mercy. Jesus didn't respond by fixing the situation, right? He didn't tell Mary to help. He didn't, he didn't fix things the way Martha thought he would. And Jesus certainly didn't respond to me, my cries, by fixing my situation the way I expected. He didn't make Bella stop crying, like, magically. And he didn't get Paul to drop his job to come and help me. You see, Jesus doesn't respond to our cries by fixing our problems. He responds by reminding us to fix our eyes on him. He doesn't respond by fixing our problems. He asks us to fix our eyes on him. God wants us more than our work. Are we spending time in his presence? So what does that mean? Like Jesus is not physically here, so how is that possible today? Well, we spend time with Jesus by reflecting on his word, that book that you have in front of you, by listening to him, by by being seeped in his word and coming to him in prayer. Have you ever tried to learn a new language or ever tried learning a language? I'm sure all of you have whether it's your native language or your second, third, fourth language, even body language. You know, the best way to learn a language is by immersion, by spending time, days and days and days, hours and hours, with people who speak fluently. That's how I eventually learned to speak Mandarin. Of course, I quickly lost it when I came to Canada because I began spending my time immersed in English. You see, being in God's presence, being in his word, immerses us in his heart language and removing ourselves from God's presence, removing ourselves from his word, eventually erodes our capacity to listen to his voice, to understand what he is saying to us. We're immersed all day in the language of work, aren't we? of doing, of striving, of getting more, doing more. But Jesus, Jesus is all about the language of grace. He's all about the language of grace. So how often do you spend time with Jesus immersed in his word? How often do we sit at his feet and ask him for the ability to see, to pray, and to rest in his grace. Jesus responded to my cries with his presence. In the midst of those sleepless nights and endless days with my crying child, he reminded me to fix my eyes on him, and I clung onto his word. I prayed psalms, 
Psalm 23 and 139 many, many times when I felt like I couldn't do anymore. And even though my situation didn't change, my heart did. My heart became softer, transformed by Christ's language of grace. His word gave me his eyes to see my child, my husband, with his love. God's presence through those long days reminded me to simply be present in the crying and reminded me of Jesus weeping with Martha later on. I want you to read this at home in John 11.35 at the death of his brother. He reminded me that Jesus, our God, he knows our suffering intimately. So maybe you've been there. Maybe you don't have a colicky baby. Maybe your baby is the perfect baby. <laughs> but I'm sure you've all been there. You've all felt the same despair. Maybe you've studied really hard and you failed an exam. Maybe you've lost a job. Maybe you've tried to be healthy and the doctor says you have cancer. You just can't seem to do anything to fix things, can't seem to do anything right, can't seem to do anymore, can't seem to do. We're used to doing, aren't we? Can we trust God when we can't do? To simply soak in his presence in the language of his grace. And are we speaking the language of his grace with others? God wants us more than our work. Do we value others more than their work? Do you ever judge another's worth in how much they do? Ever feel resentful about how much you're doing compared to the next person? Ever dismiss those who are differently abled, mentally ill, or for whatever reason are unable to do? How do you relate to those that the world considers unworthy? Friends, if God made us all in his image, if our worth, our love, belonging, identity doesn't come from what we do, but is on our very being and whose we are, then the homeless and the CEO, the valedictorian and the dropout, my crying child, and yes, even me, God calls us all beloved, beloved. And we are to treat others with the same love. If our value does not come from our work, but from a God who loves us, then all those barriers that we've put up to say that someone is more worthy or less worthy have been torn down. Which leads us to our second point. God breaks down barriers. Sometimes when I read this passage, I wonder what Jesus could have said that would have satisfied Martha, that would have satisfied me. Woman, you shouldn't be sitting at my feet. Get up. Help your sister. Actually, that's probably what most men of that time would have done. Because in first century Jewish society, women had no social, political, material, or religious standing. Men were warned not to associate with women, not even to greet them in public. Women weren't allowed to enter the inner court of the temple, not allowed to bear witness in a religious court. They weren't even allowed to study the scriptures. 
A woman's place was in the home to serve the needs of the men in her household, and especially men who were the guests of honor. You see, I never knew this growing up, but Jesus was a radical, revolutionary feminist. Jesus, God himself, invited women into his presence. He cared for them. He spoke to them. He listened to them. He brought women into his inner circle, even chose them to be the first witnesses to his resurrection. He knew them by name. Jesus breaks down barriers. Mary sat at his feet as the male student of a rabbi would. Martha spoke freely to Jesus, even questioned and rebuked him. And Jesus responds to Martha by calling her name twice, placing her in the same category as Abraham, Jacob, Moses, and Samuel, patriarchs who were greatly revered in Jewish society. Jesus breaks down barriers. Through his incarnation, God becoming human, he broke down the barrier between heaven and earth. Through his life on earth, he broke down cultural barriers of race, gender, age, status. He welcomed Samaritans, Gentiles, women, children, outsiders, the neglected untouchables of society to himself. And through his death on the cross, he broke down the ultimate barrier between us and the truest freedom of life in him. Amen? God breaks down barriers. Are we living in his freedom? You know, as a woman, Martha may have felt it would look inappropriate to sit at Jesus' feet. Maybe she had been told that women shouldn't. I struggled with this call to preach. There were voices that said that women shouldn't. You know, my profs at Regent, the pastors of this church, they clarified to me the specific context of Paul's restrictions on women, and they assured me that the female voice was valued and necessary. They showed me how God broke down barriers for women and slaves and foreigners throughout his word. But then I worried, am I worthy? You know, God's word reminds me that none of us are. We just have this treasure in jars of clay, as 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says, to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. So I realized then that my barrier was no longer a cultural restriction, but a focus back on myself, back on my doing and not in being in Christ. I worried about what people would say, how they would judge me on my doing, when what I am is simply a vessel for God's glorious treasure. I had put up barriers that God himself had broken down. God breaks down barriers. Are we extending his freedom to others? Martha tried to restrict Mary you should be helping me. Not sitting at the rabbi's feet. Do we put barriers on others? Like these people, they don't have a place in our church. Look at their sinful life. 
Look at what they're doing. Look at what they're not doing. God's word reminds us that our belonging to him hinges on Christ's doing, not ours. That all of us are sinners saved by his grace. I've put barriers on myself, but I've also put barriers between myself and others who are struggling, those who are on the margins, those who the world sees as unproductive and so unworthy members of society. And God's word shows me over and over again that as God's people, we have a calling to minister to the suffering, the marginalized of our cities. Jesus reminds me over and over again that he calls us all his beloved. I realize I can be present with Jesus, not just through his word, not just through prayer, but also through every single counter with his image bearers, from my crying child to the residents of the modular housing residents. They were all made in God's image. Jesus has not only broken barriers for me, but for them too. So what are the barriers the world has placed around you or that you have put up to stop yourself from fully following Christ? To whom are you called to extend Christ's freedom? Martha's story is a picture of giving our work, our lives, ourselves to the one who has done the ultimate work once and for all, for our sake. Jesus died on the cross so that we may have life everlasting. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is a work we could never do. Martha was too busy with her preparations to recognize Jesus as the one who prepares the table for us. He is the one who prepares his eternal home for us. Had Martha known that Jesus wanted her over her work, she would have served not to show off, not to do, but as a response to this love. Her work would have been an act of worship. And had Martha known that Jesus had broken all barriers, she would have experienced the freedom and the joy of sitting at his feet, and she would have extended the same to her sister. Unlike my Chinese school teacher yelling, Jaren! Jaren! To get me to work harder, to do better, to achieve more, Jesus speaks tenderly to me by my own name. Karen, Karen, come and sit with me. I have broken all barriers between us. And you have worth, you have love, belonging, and identity. Because you are mine. So, beloved, beloved, Jesus is calling your name. He's calling you today to sit with freedom and with joy at his feet. He loves you. Let's pray.
Father in heaven, thank you that you want us more than our work, that we have worth because of who we are, because of whose we are, that because you call us yours, we have infinite value. Lord Jesus, thank you for inviting us into the more of your presence, for breaking down barriers and taking on the ultimate work on the cross so that we may always be with you. And Holy Spirit, thank you for reminding us to live into the more of your kingdom. Help us to work and serve and love one another, not for the sake of doing, but as a response to your love, an act of worship unto you. Amen.